0: Hi, I'm Aspen Golan. I'm a furniture maker and woodworker living in Penland, North Carolina, and this is Cut the Craft. I always, I email myself, like, existential questions in the subject line, so it's like (laughs) a way for me to take notes on stuff I'm thinking without... Actually, having anything to write on, you know? So oh, I'll, I'll email, email myself a question or something simple like, look into this. But the thing mm-hmm. is like metalworking, you know? Or yeah. <laughs> just like a huge <laughs> subject. Yeah. Or consider how to better spend a morning, you know? And it's like, <laughs> how do I delete that email? Like, when am I done? Like, what is responding to that even look like?
1: <laughs> Dang, that's heavy.
0: Oh, yeah. I know. It's really rough. I, I mean, I think that I have a lot of faith in my future self to be able to handle things that my current self can't. <laughs> so I'm like, well, you now can't deal with this, but you tomorrow, you're going to be a heckin' superhero, you queen. You know? <laughs> thinking, You'll definitely be able to process
2: this then.
1: So. Well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And we are here with Aspen Golan, a... Woodworker, furniture maker, and other object maker out of Penland, <laughs> North Carolina. Aspen, welcome to the show.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Okay.
2: <laughs> for someone unfamiliar with your work, can you describe what you make and then how do you fit within your own field, like more specifically?
0: Yeah, that's always such a good question. And one that the answer to, I feel like shifts around pretty consistently, which also is in and of itself worrying, I wonder. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I think my work um, is sort of highly traditional furniture and woodworking processes from early America that I sort of applied to a whole bunch of um, different aesthetics. So some of it is going to look Pretty traditional, um, again, like 1600s to 1900s American woodworking. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of it also sort of shifts over into sort of funnier or more like image based work that kind of pulls on some of the other threads of my like previous making practice. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the way that I fit into my field, I think it's similarly hard to define in VET it sort of depends on who you ask. <laughs> so um, like when I talk to my friends who are traditional woodworkers and when I spend time with them, um, I often feel sort of like the artsy weirdo in the room and they <laughs> describe me as an artist. And then, um, you know, I worked at Penland School of Craft for a while. And when I'm there in sort of this more contemporary craft field, um, I'm sort of constantly typecast as, you know, the obsessive craft person right the person who's just you know into this sort of like nerdy historical technical stuff and so for me like I like to sort of feel like my actual identity as a craftsperson sort of floats in between those and uh-huh. and I get to kind of code shift back and forth between those mm. two communities it kind mm-hmm. of keeps me like healthy and um reminds me that neither of those sides of the stuff the skill set like define me exactly and that both totally. of them need like some delicious treats and 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 food and support sometimes so yeah
3: Ooh, yeah delicious I treats love that.
0: that sounds wonderful <laughs> totally I'm like I gotta feed that little traditional side of it right now so I'm gonna pop over to this zone and then I need <laughs> to remember that I'm you know I have that basically the art side of my craft can get pushed so much further and so hang out with someone who couldn't care less about dovetails and that's <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's great. Remember the value of that. Yeah. You're the most artsy person amongst the traditional crafty people that you run with. And then you're the most artsy person. Or yeah. sorry, the most crafty person amongst the... <laughs> the, the, the dang it. Oh my God, this is it. like
2: one of those really confusing geometry theorems. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I know, and I've led you down this path. This is welcome to my brain. <laughs> you
0: did this to me. I would say I agree with that, except of like I cringe at the word most, most just yeah. because I'm so surrounded by such incredibly talented craftspeople at Penland and such like beautifully creative weirdos in the (laughs) traditional (laughs) furniture (laughs) fields you know it's hard it's very i yeah i can't possibly say most but definitely like in in um one or the other camp depending on on where where i'm standing and what studio i'm working out of
1: and see this is why we're interviewing you because you're (laughs) way better at these words than i am (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! man. so
2: you you mentioned that you had a creative practice before woodworking what what were you doing i mean i think like a lot of people who end up
0: crafting or like a lot of people who um are interested in sort of hanging out by themselves in a very specific way. I drew a lot as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I love like, that way yeah. of putting it. <laughs> well, I think for me, it was often just a vehicle to be by myself and sort of not like be deeply engaged with the environment that I was in while simultaneously being mm-hmm. completely not aware of what was going on. And so that, that's like drumming <laughs>
3: for me. Um, so
0: yeah, I mean, it's like, I couldn't possibly be more, keyed into, you know, the flower in front of me, but also wouldn't know if there was a tornado going on.
2: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um. That is like very similar. (laughs) I'm exactly the same way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great like keyed in, keyed out kind of experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then like drawing for me turned into um, sort of a, a more conceptual approach to art making when I went to high school um, because I went I was really lucky and I went to this really artsy high school that had mm-hmm. um, you know conceptual art classes which most high schools don't and yeah, yeah. it really like broke down my approach to drawing both on a technical level and on um, sort of a content level and even just sort of understanding the medium itself as not being um, irrelevant you know it's like it's not mm-hmm. just that you're making a drawing about something it's that you're making a drawing and what does it mean to make a drawing and so sort of getting stuck in that beautiful rabbit hole where you start really thinking about like materials and what you know the material itself says and sort of branching into sculpture and um conceptual work and and then I became a teacher which I think is a craft in and of itself so I taught high school for um 4 years and then um whoa yeah while I was teaching high school I uh started weaving um and so that was I think that was sort of the first time that I allowed myself to just sort of jump back into like a purely Functional and maybe actually now that I think about it, the first purely functional craft that I that I did. Um, Cool. I just yeah wanted to make a thing that did a thing, and I'd always Mm -hmm. secretly wanted to do that, but hadn't um, quite been in an environment that fostered that or had the um, potential to until that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in college I studied uh, Russian literature and sculpture, and so um, yeah, you know we're all we're all just a hot mess of nonsensical interest <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Stitched together yeah. Um, yeah i wonder if you know after enough time passes i'll be able to zoom out and see that all of these things were like relevant and connected in some way
3: um, <laughs> Right.
0: so far yeah i don't see the russian lit yet becoming part of the tapestry of what makes sense but um it was yeah it was it was the thing for a while um, yeah wow that's wait what so was good. your
1: question <laughs> <laughs> just what you were just what you were teaching uh, oh
0: yeah that's that was why I mentioned it. I taught a whole bunch of stuff um, but yeah I was like I was mostly in the art department and you know for me, I loved the art department because it was you know it's it's sort of it brings out whatever you want to structure it to bring out right So a lot mm-hmm. of the time like my students were doing writing projects or um, sort of basically psycho like thinly veiled psychological exercises <laughs> and other times you know we were like, how many circles can you break this bottle down into you know so it just it depended on the day and i think the variety
1: of things oh, cute th- so. thinly veiled psychological <laughs> 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 oh
2: absolutely yeah i could definitely
0: give That's you some amazing. examples
2: <laughs> so like how did you make the shift from weaving into woodworking like what what was happening in your life that the basically the decision
0: to do wood was more um, chance based than it maybe should have been as I think about it, and that um an ex of mine enrolled in the preservation carpentry program at North Bennett Street School, and I went and visited and just couldn't be left out you know I just I saw that train Ooh. leaving the station and thought, you know I've always wanted to do a craft for the from from a living and um mm-hmm. This the issue was always like getting good enough that I could actually sell something that I made. And mm-hmm. there was something about walking around North Bennett and looking at all of those student examples that I felt like this was a place that, you know, regardless of what the medium I chose was, this is a place that could get me to the point where I could theoretically be good enough that I could make for a living. And I was like, <laughs> well, Wood's as good as anything. Um, and so I sort of <laughs> <laughs> jumped into it, you know, in that way. Um, And I think the other thing I loved about North Bennett was that um, it didn't, it didn't emphasize things that I was already good at. Um, You know, I I basically wanted, yeah, like I wanted a a guy to, you know, yell at me about dovetails for two years and not, you know, not pay any attention to, you know, my my (laughs) snowflakeness. And then, you know, it would be sort of my own my own secret that would keep me going through that experience of just um, Mm -hmm. disappearing into learning skills Mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, I have some plan for the future where I'm going to merge these two loves of mine into something that I can't yet exactly visualize. But that, yeah, that was like the carrot at the end of the stick for me.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, and for uh, for our listeners who might not be familiar with North Bennett Street School, Mm -hmm. um, would you mind just maybe telling us a little bit about what they're about through your experience there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, it's just through one individual's experience. But um, sure. yeah, it's, it's I believe it's the oldest craft school in the or industrial school in the United States. Um, and it has some pretty fascinating and pretty particularly nerdy programs like preservation <laughs> carpentry, locksmithing, violin making, um, fine furniture and cabinetry. And even bookbinding. Yes. So sorry. Of course. (laughs) Bookbinding. Piano technology. Did I say that one? Um, No,
1: but I do love that. That's what it's called.
0: (laughs) I know. Right. (laughs) I often walk past to be like, what is, what exactly is piano technology? Show me. (laughs) 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 And as a tone deaf person, it's, it's mostly things I can't understand. (laughs) Uh, Awful, <laughs> but it was still still pretty beautiful um, to see those piano interiors. Yeah, so it's basically, um, from my experience as a um, student, it's a school that is you know um, very sort of singularly focused on the craft side of making
3: mm-hmm.
0: the technical and crafts elements of making, um, cool. and you know it doesn't necessarily only foster that kind of interest in making, but, um, that is, that is what the education is, is centered on and existing outside of that was always kind of a funny experience for me at that institution. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Applications have now opened for John C. Campbell folk schools, work, study, student host, and artist in residence programs. For more information on these programs and how to get involved, visit folkschool.org. And applications for the programs will close on October 1st, so be sure to look them up.
1: The North Bennett Street School in Boston, Massachusetts, is still taking applications for all of their nine full-time training programs. The fall semester begins September 13th, so go and view all their programs, including cabinet and furniture making, at nbss.edu programs, or you can learn how to apply and find financial aid options at nbss.edu/slash admissions.
2: In your furniture, like looking from where I'm looking with everything that you share on social media, um, especially, but especially with your smaller pieces, there, there's a sense of like playfulness and exploration and whimsy. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe that has a little bit to do with your art background.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, it's funny because my work process is so obsessive and exacting that sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny for me to remember that there is like a play, there's a playfulness to it for sure.
3: Uh (laughs) Um,
0: And yeah, so I guess, um, the small work is definitely more playful, and mm-hmm. that work, and that sort of the image-based work, and both of those bodies of work came from um, a sort of exhaustion with the intensity of sort of like the the um, process of making furniture. So everything mm-hmm. from your first idea to sort of the gestation where you're thinking about it and drawing it to the production to the, oh my gosh, the finishing that you haven't left any emotional energy to do. And, <laughs> you know, it can be easily, you know, two months um, from the moment you have a thought about a piece of furniture, you know, that, that you'd like to see in the world till the moment when you're actually standing in front of it and looking, like looking at it, and getting mm-hmm. feedback from it. And so, right. um, yeah, it's, it's, for me, it was very hard to there, like, get playfulness back into mm-hmm. that process because it was so long and yeah. intense <laughs> um you know it's hard to be playful when you're in the last um leg of a marathon <laughs> <laughs>
1: right <laughs>
0: so in order to be playful like these shorter term um pieces in their entirety so those like my brush work like make these brushes um and so mm-hmm. those pieces take you know anywhere from a day to a week to finish Mm-hmm. So it's much easier to maintain a sense of playfulness during <laughs> that time period. And then mm-hmm. the image work—I typically include imagery in my um, furniture pieces, either through glass or um, marquetry or other kinds of inlay or traditional um, decorative processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and those pieces I make after I'm finished, sort of with the the long, intense, arduous process of making the work, like the actual mm-hmm. um, functional object itself. And then I mm-hmm. sort of detach from it take a few days and then have sort of a playful burst and put that work into it. Mm. Um, Yeah, my, my, one of my mentors, Peter Galbert, who's a uh, Windsor chairmaker said this thing that I really love um, that the process of iteration needs to be painless um, in order to make new and interesting work. So the (laughs) idea that like, it has to be easy to, destroy an idea and start again or shift something around. And if it's not easy to shift it around, you simply won't do it. And so you'll get stuck (laughs) with these sort of stale ideas or ideas that become stale quickly. And so for me, like the small work was a way and the image work was a way to bring quick iteration back into furniture, Mm. which is not a very, which is not a quick process just by its nature.
1: Wow. I need a moment to think about that first. Step <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'm like,
2: oh, what's stale? What's stale in my work? What, am <laughs> what?
0: No, no, no. It's not, I mean, I think like that's why so many furniture makers invest so much time in their their little maquettes, you know, um, mm-hmm. because that is a that's a process where um, the cost of iteration is very low. You know, it costs mm. almost nothing to rip the leg off and hot glue something else on. You know, so it's just critical (laughs) to have that part of the process um, where it's easy to respond to your own thought process as it evolves, you know, to have something that evolves almost as fast as your ideas do. And so for me, the brushes were like a, that was a chance for me to play not with hot glue and paper, but actually in my material wood on a much um, quicker scale, you know, so if Mm -hmm. I didn't like a brush, I just toss it, right? And so Mm -hmm. I'm willing to try these really doofy ideas um, and just see if they work right? Yeah. (laughs) So, and by doofy, I mean either sort of technically weird that, you know, probably that won't work or, um, aesthetically, um, edgy, at least for me, like right on, right on, right on the edge of what I think is likely to succeed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I really love that about your work because it's like, you see that duality just when you go to your website and you're like Mm -hmm. looking in the shop and it's like furniture and you see this like crazy elegant like super I it's I can look at it and just immediately know I have no comprehension of like what it took to make that happen <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you look at the other side and it's like what I, what what's it called again just smalls
0: I think yeah that's what I, call and I just
1: yeah like that already is just like such a fun name like you just want to <laughs> know what the smalls are
0: <laughs> yeah I know and I'm what I'm actually sincerely hoping for and don't know what will happen to my website when it does happen is that <laughs> some of that energy from the smalls makes it into stuff that isn't really that small anymore.
1: Ooh, cool. (laughs) I love that. Um, It does remind me sort of, of the, the little transition that I've been going through and talking about on the show in terms of my own work where I was mostly doing book stuff and then would do a little bit of tool dabbling. Um, (laughs) But I, I just started getting so, I think tired of that, the process of making books in some ways and I needed like a break from it. So then Mm -hmm. I started cutting these tools and it totally, the way you described it just totally hit the nail on the head for me. And was exactly like, you need that like sort of instant satisfaction, smaller scale, quicker turnaround time though mine just went from being like a few days to maybe a few hours, whereas yours was like a few months to a few days. <laughs> so it's like still <laughs> a smaller scale. Oh, but. God,
0: if there were something that took a few hours, I would be pretty into it. That's actually what the the image making is. So when I do like airbrushing or painting, that's oh, faster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can
2: you tell us about the the piece you just finished with Greg Pennington?
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I finished it yesterday. So maybe (laughs) you're like, not interested interested in talking about it. Isn't that funny? You know, that you go through this process where, you know, at least for me, it's like, I couldn't be more excited or invested in something. And I know that that's the energy I need to mine in order to actually get it done. And then Uh I watch it fade. You know, it's like watching a cartoon, you know, or not a cartoon (laughs) character, but like a video game character, and you can see its energy levels like failing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, I'm doing the calculus of how far away am I from the end of this piece and how many like food bars do I have left? (laughs) Um, So I ran out of food bars right at the end of that project. So I have essentially like no energy left for it. But I will tell you, Uh um, so one of the, the, basically what I was doing with that piece was um, Greg and I just decided to collaborate for absolutely no um, reason other than that, I think, Anyone who's been crafting for a little while will probably relate to um, wanting an opportunity to work with another person closely, you know, somebody who has Mm -hmm. an adjacent overlapping skill set, but, you know, not an identical skill set. And then Mm -hmm. um, and sort of building relationship and community that way, as well as learning from them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also like a chance to essentially make work that's really hard again, you know, because I think um, I had fallen into. And in a good way, like fallen into um, a habit of making work that that felt attainable to me. And I wanted to spend a little bit more time sort of um, scared yeah. <laughs> like working on something I sincerely didn't know it would work or not. So Greg and I uh, chose this settee that neither of us thought we could make. And um, <laughs> and then we made it um, in, you know, in physical reality. So it's like just this um, blonde in the blonde um, piece of furniture. And then he painted it black. And then the goal was for me to come back and sort of riff off of um, this, you know, I think everyone has them in their grandmother's house, or at least has seen them in a thrift store, Um, Hitchcock furniture. It's like a black chair with um, painted golden fruit on it. So think about like the you know yeah. it's not a cool style these days. <laughs> Nobody's uh, coveting it. But I,
3: I, am um, sold. <laughs>
0: I'm glad. I'm glad you're into it. I uh, use my airbrush and sort of my background in painting and sort of mix those two together and and sort of um, latched onto Hitchcock's style, but then didn't necessarily use any of the imagery that you associate with Hitchcock. So. Like no, I mean some fruits and cornucopias and flowers and things like that, but I, I sort of mixed in original imagery too, um, and that's a big part of of the fun that I like to have. You know, the balance between art and craft in my work.
2: Wow, dang, it's well, it's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it and I was like, Aspen what the hell is going on now? She's over here doing this cool thing with this other person. Everything she makes is amazing. I'm like, that Aspen, <laughs> we, we got to talk
0: to her. Like, oh, man. I'll take you through my uh, my project graveyard at some point. Um, <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely not all cute, you guys.
1: <laughs> I'm just getting but, an image of like you. that little model set that Beetlejuice lived on before he became big. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, like, isn't there's that amazing young quote that I'm going to completely butcher, which is like basically like anything original emerges from the play instinct.
3: Hmm. Ooh. I like
0: that. It's a cool idea. Before. Like this. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, I guess the inverse makes sense. It's almost easier for me to latch on to the inverse of that statement that um, like logic will only yield small increases in creative expression, right? Because it's like, like climbing a staircase, like everything is based on everything else. But play is like this wild, chaotic experience that's based in, you know, your own lived experience, which is completely Mm -hmm. original constellation of nonsense, right? So if you (laughs) follow that, who the heck knows where that's going? So I can kind of see what he's talking about, that originality sort of like lives in that play instinct. And so if I can see a potential for myself to sort of get lost in the play of something, then I, I have to wonder whether maybe there's something juicy down there. Wow. I just don't know if I'm ready to go. <laughs> <I can use laughs> touch with everything I'm making right now, and just go into some other yeah cave. We'll see. Oh,
1: but that is such a good nugget. I, I feel like I feel like we keep on dancing around this question that I vowed I would never ever address on the show, um, which has to deal with like art art versus craft oh god Uh, God. here we go and but I I don't know if I even want to do it but I just feel like I appreciate the way in which you are dealing with it I don't Mm. necessarily think we need to try to define the boundaries now
0: yeah I feel I also dance
1: around it for what it's worth yeah
0: Um, Yeah. and I feel like my work does bring up that question a lot for whatever reason and there's like Mm -hmm. I think maybe some like Um, reverse engineering you could do from like, and that I do by looking at my work and being like, well, what is that question even about if this work brings up that question? But Mm -hmm. um, I did have this really amazing high school teacher once um, who did, he just, he broke all of our tiny brains in the cutest way. And sometimes (laughs) I I think about it. um, We were having a fight about what is art in in class. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, it was pretty cyclical and abstract. Um, (laughs) And so he took us all outside he just shushed us, took us outside and picked up a stick and he said, is this art? And we we're all like, no. And then he threw it and he's like, what about now? And half of us were like, "Uh, maybe. And then we walked over to it and he drew a circle around it in the dirt with his heel. And he said, what about now? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I can't say we got anywhere with it. But um, like when I think about what is art or what is craft, like my brain returns to that sort of armature that he laid out I'm like when does the stick or stick experience or movement of stick through air become something else I don't know
1: (laughs) I I also very much appreciate the we were having a fight about what is art because that is like just perfectly sums up every high school intro art class
0: yeah and it's a fight that you try not to to engage in you see it happening it's like just don't get on just just don't say anything just and then don't you get on. but it's like once you start actually verbally engaging with it you become in the yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. like damn i'm in the middle of this fight now
3: it's over <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> i know and you're like at least for me i'm never even confident about what i'm
2: saying <laughs> right <laughs> right Yep. so um which of your pieces are you most proud of and why I think um,
0: I'm going to answer that question with a project I actually haven't even shared publicly yet, um, which is a sort of craft equity project that I've been working on through this grant that I got um, from the Society of Arts and Crafts and the Minic Foundation, um, which was me sort of realizing that I really wanted to travel around and teach Windsor chairs because Windsor chairs are fascinating process-wise, and they're also just like one of these things that you know, they're so versatile, low cost, so easy to design. So, um, you know, cheap to produce that it just seemed like such a tragedy that they were so also so cloistered, right, that so few people knew how to make them. And there were so few ways to learn. So it's like, I'm going to travel and I'm going to teach these things. And I'm going to teach them faster and shorter and make them simpler so that people can just like bite in, you know, and do something mm-hmm. with it. Love that. Um, and then I was like, all right, well, I don't have any tools All right, <laughs> I have enough tools for, <laughs> for me, but not enough tools for my students. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, also anyone who makes Windsor chairs or, or works in green woodworking will know that, um, these tools are highly specific, um, difficult mm-hmm. to find sometimes, you know, I mean, there are, mm-hmm. there are antiques that you can restore, but you know, it's touch and go, whether you're going to find them, whether they're going to be decent, And then all of the sort of artisanal, like fresh new tools that people are making, you know, there's a three-year wait list for a lot of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're made by this small number of people. So I started reaching out to my metalworking community through Penland and through, you know, sort of my my wider experience as a craftsperson, not just in the wood world, and found Mm -hmm. people who like didn't yet have sort of a a production item, but did have the skill set to make those tools. And then sort of saw basically if they vibed with any of the Windsor chair tools and then connected them with um, a Windsor chair maker like Pete Galbert um, helped Chris Schwartz and um, Caleb James were all really incredible Mm -hmm. advisors to the project so I would match the tool maker with one of those chair makers and they would trade prototypes until the tool was ready and so now we have this new set of Windsor tools to launch that are made by these new makers.
3: not new metal workers,
0: like new to the chair field. So yeah, it's exciting. And um, I also made an effort to find toolmakers and metal workers um, and woodworkers who were all identified as female non-binary or BIPOC. So it was just a fun way to sort of like get a more diverse group of perspectives and ideas into the field and also like get them paid, you know?
1: Yeah, that that is such a that's such a meaningful and fantastic way to like, yeah, start diversifying the uh, portfolio of people doing stuff. I love that. Yeah, man,
0: I get to greedily use all these hot, hot tools now too. You know,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: like I'm not an, I'm no saint. I'm just like, mmm, delicious now. Like, holy, you know, like, oh my god, it's so <laughs> oh god. good. You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the best.
0: Yeah, like going about it selfishly, I'm like, I want to have all of my tools made for me by beautiful geniuses and approved by other beautiful geniuses. You know, it's like that person is definitely not like a saint, you know, so I just right. wanted to be clear, you know, this was as, um, as like fun and selfish for me as it was, like, hopefully will be like helpful for all these people in the community at large. So,
1: oh, yeah. that's so good. I love delicious, that. Delicious, delicious tools. Um, yeah. <laughs>
4: The weft and the warp, the heave and the cleft, the treadle pedal, the luster of linen, the color of a tapestry evocative of the ocean, lightness and breath, the eye in the center of the heddle, putting your weight into weighty materials in order to put one's feelings into materials that can be felt, working iteratively instead of derivatively looking for even flatness in a 3D object. Curving blocks. Woven borders. Not sound and color, but sound and color. And hey, looms need to be dressed too. Almost nothing likes to be naked all the time. Also, floor loom weaving is not what it sounds like, thankfully. The floor stays there, and there's a loom on it. The floor itself is not woven and does not flow. Again, thankfully. That sounds like a domestic version of quicksand. No thank you. Christine Novotny is a floor loom weaver and painter in Minnesota, plus a former Bloomington, Indiana pizza slinger. Tune in next episode to get your thoughts threaded.
0: But it is interesting, right? The way that the craft field... It feels like there's not, and maybe I'm just missing a person or a number of people, but there, it doesn't feel like there's like an excellent model for being a person who makes work primarily, but who also invests in equity practice beyond, um, you know, an occasional raffle or scholarship or free class. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking for some way to like more deeply integrate that equity work into my practice without losing access to making as an independent mm-hmm.
1: thing. Right.
0: I guess it's also like, I I, own, I wonder about ways of creating equity projects that are also beyond just donating money because it's like, there's so many ways of, I don't know, when I think about ways to do equity work, the first thing I think about is like identifying my own personal power and privilege, right? And then figuring out how to share that. And so for me, like my personal power and privilege is not my money or my ability to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when I really think about it, like I can give away money, but I can't give away as much money as a dental surgeon can, you know, so right. maybe the right. dental surgeon should give away money. And what I should do is give away my power and privilege, which for me at this moment in my career, it'll shift. But right now, what I think it is, is is my relationships um, hmm. with other makers. And so that's what that tool project, um, the Windsor Tool Project was about, was um, sort of recognizing that just the ability to text Peter Galbert was a power and it's not fun to think about, you know, my, my friendships as pieces of power, but they are. Um, And so thinking about them, not in terms of the power they have for me, but what they have for other people who, you know, can't text Peter Galbert. Um, And so I was like, well, what can I do on behalf of someone who could, you know, so then trying to come up with those sort of ultra sustainable ways of doing that work and realizing that, you know, one hour of Peter Galbert's time, if well, Portioned can create hundreds of hours of productive tool making time for the right sure. person you know right so for me it takes me like 36 hours to make one thing that could sell for 100 bucks sometimes and so like, <laughs> sometimes it feels like money is not the greatest gift I have to give to this community but I still <laughs> I do I do try to give it but yeah just um sort of doing that that uncomfortable work of trying to figure out what it is that I have amassed through my relationships with places like North Bennett and mm-hmm. Penland, um, and the power that my friends and um, co-workers and collaborators have in this community and, and just sort of trying to organize that into something that's greater than the sum of its parts.
1: Totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were saying it doesn't seem like being able to text Peter Galbert would be that crazy of a power or like, you know, you think of it on one <laughs> level, it's just like your friend, but at the same time, like, especially in the craft community, like so many of your very close personal friendships also turn into like business ventures or collaborations that result in those types of opportunities for yourself. And so if you can find a way of turning that for other people that I mean, that is, as you said, more meaningful than just kind of doing faceless donations in some ways.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, honestly, that brings us back to, you know, my ability to text Greg and say, hey, do you want to collaborate on something like this set T is the result of that, that most recent project, Mm -hmm. which hopefully I'll have some photos of soon. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, without the ability to sort of connect within my field, which is connected to so many types of um, privilege and pedigree, it's like those, um, those projects wouldn't happen. And so, yeah, trying to do everything that I Mm -hmm. can to sort of uh, awkwardly wade into these uncomfortable conversations with myself Mm -hmm. and try to figure out how to, how to make it more equitable. And again, greedily, how to make the field a little bit more charming and enjoyable for somebody like myself, who's not, you know, a typical woodworker
1: in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Cool. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) Sorry. Sometimes like Amy is normally really good. She's really good at coming up with like a really nice, meaningful, poignant thing to say in those moments. And I just get overwhelmed and excited. and so it just turns into like all of my thoughts just turn into like cool.
2: <laughs> like, I'm like, you. Awesome, <laughs> It's just a nice way I, I what, what am I trying to say? Let me think for a second. I think there are a lot of like buzzwords that I boil down to just having like a loving presence within your field one of the things I think about when people are talking about this is like trying to find ways to be more loving, like to show up with, for other people who don't have the same opportunity, um, and, and present, you know, your knowledge or your ability to like connect with other makers to like share that in a loving way with people who don't have the same opportunity for whatever reason. Um, And I wish people talked more about love. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm like, really, we just want to be more loving towards other people. I totally hear (laughs) that. about
3: love?
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that that love is like, that's what motivates so much of that work. It's just like, it's so, um, there's like a sort of, you know, super classic quote about like, about power and privilege. Like that, um, if you're used to privilege, that equality will feel like oppression which mm. makes a kind of a kind of kind sense, right? Just, um, mm-hmm. you know, inherently. And so mm-hmm. even just like being more loving in that sense, like if you're doing it really holistically and intentionally, like you will start dismantling elements of your own privilege in ways that start to feel really uncomfortable. And like, mm-hmm. like suddenly like you're, you have less access to things that you previously had access to or like there, because there's more space for other folks, like there's less space for you. And like that is, I feel like if you're not prepared for that, then it can sort of um shut down that love and feeling, <laughs> and so it's like you even just sort of being prepared for um, like giving giving up and giving away, you know, which is also part of doing that you know buzzword right equity work um, hmm. is like right. that at some point, right, it becomes not about you if it's done well, right? you become decentered mm-hmm. and and people forget about you and they move on and and they live their lives and, and own their power independent of your of your project. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: The North House Folk School teaches traditional craft on the shores of Lake Superior. Courses for this fall and winter are now open for registration. You can learn woodworking, weaving, broom making, baking, and much more. What are you waiting for? Visit northhouse.org for more information.
2: Penland School of Craft is an educational center dedicated to the creative life. Located in North Carolina's Blue Ridge Mountains, Penland offers one, two, six, and eight-week workshops in a wide range of media. Penland also offers artist residencies and a beautiful gallery. Also happening now is the Penland Online Benefit Auction from August 21st through the 28th. For more information, visit penland.org. Can you tell us about the themes um, behind your work as far as like woodworking goes, like the the woodwork that you're doing?
0: Sure. Yeah. When I was go- so when I was going to North Bennett, um, I was learning about this highly, highly specific historical woodworking, and I was fascinated by it on a on a process level. You know, just sort of as a as a weirdo trying to collect skill set in order to then apply and use for anything. Um, mm-hmm. But I also pretty quickly started, you know, sort of feeling like context, historical context was pretty important in terms of looking at this work and understanding it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, just starting to, you know, wonder, okay, so like, where, why was that chair made? Where was it made? Like, why, why was it used in the room that it was used in? And like, what is, what do these symbols mean? And like, what kind of Mm -hmm. um, sort of social structure is this chair projecting, right? Like, is this chair for sitting in? Is it for connoting status, whatever? And then sort of starting to ask basically, like, can historical furniture, can any, any aesthetic object be separated from sort of the time and place in which it was made? And I was like, no. So, <laughs> so, these, so started, starting to look at all of this work that I was making about early America, I'm like, okay, well, suddenly this work is about the processes of early America, but it's also about racism and it's also about misogyny and it's also about um, all kinds of um, historical and structural ill will And so starting to make work then for me that was in this style and using this language of traditional furniture to talk about historical and political issues. And I sort of focused on gender. And so I was like, oh, man, started thinking about how furniture itself kind of plays these really stereotypical female domestic roles. You know, it's like female. I mean, sorry, furniture is seen and it's not heard. It Mm -hmm. supports, it bears weight, it decorates a home. It is domestic in its sphere, right? And so starting to see that and then starting to see that furniture itself is also kind of a body, right? Like cabinetry has a carcass and legs. um, Mm -hmm. Chairs have arms and backs. And so starting to play with those and then sort of trying to pull out those ideas using imagery. And then on top of that, not just painting on top of furniture, but painting on top of furniture in the style appropriate to the era. So using Hitchcock styles of painting or using glass enameling or using inlay and marquetry. So again, like talking about things that are current and contemporary, but using a language that is of the era. And so that uh, that whole mess ended up being just totally fascinating to me. And that's kind of, I think where most of my big work emerges from that soup of ideas.
1: Wow!
3: Blah blah blah.
1: No. <laughs> oh my god, that's so. Funny. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot bundled up in that. Um,
0: yeah, I definitely feel like I'm still picking it apart for sure.
1: I feel like that adds a whole another um, weight onto something that's already so technically challenging. Um would, is that sort of also where the smalls come in where it's just (laughs) sort of like, like pressure valve or something? like Oh yeah, totally.
0: It's just like a little joke. They're like these little visual jokes to me. Um, But they also play double duty because they give me a chance to sort of play with these um, sort of more tactical ideas that I could theoretically incorporate like weird laminations and stuff that are too complicated for me to prototype in a finished piece of furniture, Um. Um, but that are, Um, potentially relevant to it Um, but also I mean like that that imagery work is is honestly faster in a lot of ways and I used to say that I like woodworking because I'm I can only I only have a good idea like once every three hours maximum and painters are required (laughs) to have good ideas constantly Mm Because at any second, the entire painting shifts and changes, right? You could decide to like paint it all white or bury it or rip it in half and like paint a strawberry on the other side. And all of a sudden it's different, (laughs) you know, and I just, I couldn't keep up with that. (laughs) So I was like, at least with furniture and woodworking, you're, you know, you have one good idea and then it takes at least three hours, at least three hours to actualize that idea. So I'm like, Ooh, what if it rounded over there? Three hours later. I get to think about it again, but then I get this three hour break at least between having to be smart um, and having to be creative (laughs) and having to mind myself. (laughs) So it's that beautiful balance between getting to make decisions and getting to be a creative person and also getting to be somebody who just like organizes things neatly, Mm -hmm. you know, and and gets to sort of like not exist in the way that you, in that very special way you get to not exist when you're executing a physical task, like sanding or cutting (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's the best feeling when you just get totally lost and you're like, what day is it when you are like kind of like <laughs> slowly coming to again?
0: Yeah. And I love that sort of the way that that complicated work that I do in furniture allows me to sort of fade in and out. So when I'm mm-hmm. making these technical pieces, I'm not, I'm, I'm almost invisible, right? I'm just sort of executing these, these processes that were done hundreds of years ago by people I'll never meet and were perfected by generations, not by individuals. Right. And then Mm -hmm. I'll fade back in once that work is done and be like, well, what do I Aspen want to do in that little circle in the middle? Mm. And I'll put my own thing in there. And then I get to fade out again while I execute that very carefully by cutting tiny pieces of wood and burning the edges over the course of seven hours, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So that sort of fading in and out, I think it, um, A lot of it is like you asked earlier in the podcast why I like making furniture, and I think a lot of it just comes down to you know what I can do and what I need as a maker. Like I need a chance to be creative, but I also can't be creative twenty-four hours a day.
3: Mm, I'm just not
0: that person, and so I have to go back and forth. And furniture has has allowed me to find a practice in which I can do that, fade in and out.
1: Mm -hmm. It's so good. I think that just like perfectly captures that flow state that people are always chasing. Um, yeah, yeah, And that idea of, I think that just is a really nice, concise summary of like um, a healthy relationship with a traditional craft where you're, you know, sort of getting lost in the ocean and the tradition that came before you and, you know, giving that it's just desserts. But then at the same time, you get to take that step back and like, put yourself into that because you're now at the at it's our now in a sense and you get to add your little bit to that history mm-hmm. and I just think that's beautiful
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't say I knew that going into it everything seems so intentional in hindsight
1: like I didn't <laughs> <Right>. know
0: I <laughs> didn't know I was that person who I can I do deeply care about dovetails and how they're cut and the feeling of a saw going through wood and I love breaking material into tiny little pieces and organizing it and I love like I love the way a draw knife cuts through wood. And I also Mm -hmm. could not care less about any of that stuff. And so it just sort of goes back and (laughs) forth. (laughs) Um, um, And I thought thought for a long time, because of the separation of art and craft in our culture, that there was no place for me as a maker. And so (laughs) I became a teacher instead. And I think that was a beautiful way for me to manifest all of my interests. That being Mm. said, there is this like weird world of contemporary craft and um, there is this, there are ways of, of squeezing both of those processes into a single lifestyle in wood.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: I think. Ask me later.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ask me in two years, see if it worked. You're right, right. So, are, are there any other challenges <laughs> besides <laughs> what you just talked about? I'm curious a little bit about like, Are you selling things regularly? Would you call yourself like a studio furniture maker or like, yeah, I'm just curious about that. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's a great question. Like, I think that um, because I chose the path of having a part-time job at Penland School Mm -hmm. and then um, being grant funded for the last year, I've had some space to Mm -hmm. think about and more intentionally approach how I want to be self-supporting in the Mm -hmm. craft. And when I think about, like, who I admire, who's a craftsperson, mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I think about, I think about them in terms of the life they've been able to create around mm-hmm. their work, you know, a way that they've made mm. it sustainable. So sometimes I'll look at a person's work and say, oh, man, that work is hot, hot, hot. And then I'll look at their life and be like, oh, God, I would crumble after a day. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that somehow takes some of the gleam out of the work for me, because for me, it really is the it's the holistic experience of it. And right. so. um I think that for me, I'm still seeking, you know, what is going to be the lifestyle that I hang all of the things I love on? Like what's the basket that holds all of this? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for me, it's a combination of teaching um, production work, but only production work in the sense of things that, you know, the process of which I love and isn't detrimental Mm -hmm. to my body. So that's my attraction to Windsor furniture in a lot of ways. Um, It feels Mm -hmm. good. It's good for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then that sort of impulse I can't deny to make new work, whether it's horrible and a waste of time or not, <laughs> you know, it's like you just need, you have, a, you have an idea or a horrible doodle and you just absolutely can't not see it in physical reality. So there goes six weeks.
1: <laughs> I just want to know what it is about Windsor Chairs just attracting balanced people to them. <laughs> like I feel like every Windsor chairmaker we've talked to or ones that we haven't had on the show yet are always just like people who are searching for balance and not like some like anything else outside of that. They're like, I love my yeah. practice, but I also love my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, and I think that is what drew me to it before the objects did, even. I was like, these few people seem to be able to handle the holistic experience of being makers better than mm-hmm. The flat mm-hmm. furniture makers who I've met um mm-hmm. and you know it's like again that that burnout is super real and so being somebody who know, like I know I want to make things forever and so if that's the ultimate goal if that goal is bigger than any other goal then the Windsor chair makers are who I want to sit with at lunch <laughs> like <I'm>, I want to <laughs> know yeah, what are they doing <laughs> and how are they doing it and like um Unfortunately, you know, I've had conversations with both um, Greg Pennington and Peter Galbert where, you know, they've said, sure, you can make Windsor chairs, but we both know you're not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, because I just I like too many other things, too. Um, But I think that I think if I had to guess what it is about Windsor chairs and the makers that that create that balanced life is that the process itself is in line with the material. Like there are certain craft processes that where you basically have to beat the material into submission in order to make it do what it what you want it to do and that is not the case with windsor chairs with Mm -hmm. windsor chairs it's like you approach the material or you don't but generations of humans approach the material and basically figure out what it does best and then try to figure Mm -hmm. out how to make what it does best look pretty good Yeah. (laughs) yeah um and then sit in that and so it's like If you're working with a material in a way that's in alignment with the way that that material naturally behaves, it's a much more, um, it's a smoother experience. Um, I think I'm also drawn just to the simplicity of the lifestyle surrounding those objects. And you can see that that came from, again, like the way that it is in line with the material. Like you don't need a giant shop with a ton of dust collection and all of these crazy tools and like, you know, heat sources in order to create Mm -hmm. Windsor chairs because... They're simply green wood that you split up, warm up a little bit with a chicken incubating lamp, and and then take out a day later. Like, even that pace is so cute, right? do a little bit of work, put it in a warm box, take it out a day later, (laughs) do a little more work, put it back in the warm box. It's like, Oh my God, this is so nice. Right. So like,
1: (laughs) and you just like go to the person's house and you're like, Oh, where do you keep your stuff? And then they just point outside and there's just like a log and that's like enough for however many chairs. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. And like, you know, I mean, all of that then creates a lifestyle around it too because Windsor chair making mm-hmm. is easy if you have a backyard to put a log in you know <laughs> <laughs> and like if you have a trailer to drag that log around mm-hmm. and if you're going to hang out and use that log before it rots you know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of these things where like the the um, craft itself requires a certain kind of consistent lifestyle the same way that like farming does right you got to be there to Feed your animals in the morning, and so while that might seem like a person who just has a great internal set of boundaries and systems, it's also like that goat just needs food in the a.m. And so you're going to be there, you know. So that log needs to get used, and you put the spindle in yesterday. You're going to have to take it out today so you can show up again.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, like creates its own little healthy restrictions. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that I fight against brutally. So you, I mean, you answered a question about like the woodworkers that you admire mm-hmm. and do you have any people or types of people that you really admire outside of woodworking?
0: Like I can't, after having been a teacher for a long time, I can't help but admire them. I was also America's worst waitress. So I always admire um, service staff because holy mm-hmm. crap, that's hard. Um, mm-hmm. I know that when I look at, well, let me put it this way. I've been really lucky- at Penland, um, to be surrounded by a really diverse group of um, processes. And so getting to see how different people make their work um, has been a really big part of the last two years of my life. Um, And I know that I have this special penchant for people who I see playing the long game, like people who I see um, practicing and practicing something that doesn't seem to have any immediate um, outputs. And then, you know, two years into it, boom, there's something that I'd never have imagined. And (laughs) I find that really inspiring, especially when somebody has the skill set to sort of pluck a much lower hanging fruit. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes I wonder, I'm like, oh, you could just be making some really gorgeous production work. Why aren't you doing that? What do you have up your sleeve? Like, what are you (laughs) thinking about? You know, and so (laughs) (laughs) watching that person um, stay wedded to some weird, hard to define track and then having something emerge. And I know this is a super biased person to mention, but um, because it's COVID, I've been spending a lot of time with him. My my partner, Chris Care Air is a glass sculptor and Mm. he has been doing this like trompe l'oeil work with glass. Um, And he could, yeah, he could spin some cups, sell those cups. um, And I'm constantly amazed by his desire to not do that and instead to hand sculpt, um, you know, a stool out of solid glass. Or to make, he made me a hand plane out of sheet glass for my birthday. (laughs)
3: That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, And I think I take a lot of inspiration from his um, sort of fortitude and patience. And Mm. um, sort of almost like he has this sustainable approach to his own making where he's like, it'll happen when it happens. And I find that really beautiful. Like he doesn't grab for attention and he doesn't um, reach for money. He just makes these bizarre things that just keep getting better
1: that's the best
2: (laughs) Uh, so what inspires you outside of uh woodworking and educating equitizing (laughs) um i think that
0: work-life balance while it's something i admire is not something that i demonstrate (laughs) um, i think it's uh it's something that I am eagerly pursuing um, without actually putting one foot in front of the other very often on that. You know, I think most craftspeople can acknowledge uh, that, you know, once you start doing what you love for a living, there's probably a few years where you forget that there's really anything else that you want to do. Um, and I, <laughs> I think I'm just kind of in that phase still, but I'm like, Aspen, you like hiking, you should probably do that more often, yeah. right? Right, um, right. Yeah. I like losing myself outside, Um and I haven't, I haven't put enough time and I shouldn't say energy. I haven't like surrendered to that desire in a while.
2: So, (laughs) um, yeah, maybe let's check in (laughs) (laughs) that. Well, well, that reminds me like I've been sort of, uh, paying attention to the the idea and the the thing that people throw around called self-care. And -hmm. I know it's like a super overused term, but there's a, there's, there's a difference between self-care and self-indulgence. And I think um, a lot of times people think of self-care as like sipping champagne in your bubble bath. And that's not what it is really. (laughs) It's like paying attention to your other loves, like going hiking or um, spending time with your dog or, you know, making yourself eating a healthy meal instead of Uh, indulging in potato chips, (laughs) which uh, I love potato chips. (laughs) It's been nice for me just to hear that uh, perspective on the idea of self-care where it's like, it's not just, you know, giving yourself a break in the like, Yeah, you can eat potato chips occasionally and not feel terrible. It's also like, yes, you should be eating like a healthy meal that's good for your body. Yeah. But in Um, fact,
0: you should eat potato
2: chips occasionally. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Like by occasionally, you
0: mean daily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Also, same. Totally. (laughs) My friend Nate, um, who's a violin maker I met at North Bennett, said this amazing thing to me specifically once where he said, Aspen, I really think that our careers and craft are more akin to watering a plant than stopping a snowman from melting. (laughs) and I so I do think about that I'm like Aspen are you today are you watering a plant or are you trying to stop a snowman from melting (laughs) (laughs) and for me self-care sort of falls into somewhere somewhere in that arena right That like watering a plant like taking care of myself and sort of imagining not just like how can I squeeze the most out of myself in this one day but how can I create a healthy biome (laughs) of making um, mm. That I'm Holy. also a, like participant in versus yeah. like, I must succeed today, or I will lose sight of my capacity to succeed ever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's so good. It's very dark. <laughs> it can be very dark.
1: <laughs> I'm still just trying to figure out where I fall in that and I have I just have no idea. I think I'm just still falling.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Nate is a total plant waterer and good for him. (laughs) No. So Aspen, if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? Um, Right now, I think
0: Instagram is probably the best place. It's got Mm -hmm. like a nice combination of goofy nonsense from my studio as well as um, finished photos of my work. That being said, Mm -hmm. if you want to just sort of scroll through and see my furniture and my smalls, you can always go to my website sort of updated <laughs> my website is www.aspengolon.com and um my instagram is similarly boringly named at aspen underscore golan oh, that's easy yeah. well, good right to
2: the point <laughs> yes not hard to remember at all
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well aspen thank you so much for joining us today and sharing a little or a lot about your work I have so much to think about, so I need to start (laughs) processing now. (laughs)
0: Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so, it's a dream to get to talk to both of you and just
2: chat it up and uh, hang
0: out virtually.
2: Oh, yeah. It was wonderful.
1: (laughs) Don't forget that we are right in the midst of our class giveaway with the John C. Campbell Folk School in North Carolina. To see the rules for entry, just scroll a few posts back on our Instagram feed at CutTheCraftPodcast and look for the post with the Folk School's logo on it, and you can enter below in the comments. You don't even have to follow us to enter, so (laughs) be sure to check it out. We will announce the winner when, Umbo?
2: (laughs) August 31st.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this conversation and also to everybody who has supported the show, whether financially or otherwise. A special thanks this episode to Matt for joining us on Patreon.
2: Woohoo. So, yes, and every contribution matters, both for helping us grow the podcast and raising money for craft scholarships. Also, thank you to our sponsors, North Bennett Street School in Massachusetts, John C. Campbell Folk School in North Carolina, North House Folk School in Minnesota, and Penland School of Craft in North Carolina. There are a lot of Norths. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and a, a free way a free way to support the show is to just leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And that helps people find the show and we also really appreciate the feedback.
1: Yeah, and if you'd like to see more images of guest work or stay up to date on other happenings such as our class giveaway with John C. Campbell Folk School, uh, (laughs) please follow us on Instagram at CutTheCraftPodcast. Also, if you want to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio of the podcast page.
2: You can also email us at Cut the craft podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or guest recommendations for the show, or even if you just want to say hi.
1: And as always, a huge thanks to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for letting us use your music, and to Luke for helping us with production. And then to Justin Williams, who writes those next guest poetic tidbits every episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank y'all. Coming up next, we have an interview with Weaver, Christine, and Novotny up in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So to get a little glimpse into our conversation, here is a brief clip from that interview. Thanks again for joining us.
2: See you next time. The other thing that I really
0: love about looking at all of these older coverlets is like, there's all kinds of
2: mistakes in them, and the Mm -hmm. patterns don't always
0: match up, and it's just fine.
2: (laughs) You know, I think that like,
0: we it's an interesting thing about weaving now how precious we treat it and it is like precious because it's special but Mm -hmm. I also really appreciate you know like what all of our crafts were like in a time where it was just utilitarian like I mean of course there's like decorative aspects to everything that we make but like we also just needed to make the stuff because yeah. mm-hmm. like I'm cold and it's going to winter soon. <laughs> right, right. Right. So I can't, I can't go crazy with being super precious about it. And, and that's what I love most now is like seeing those old coverlets that doesn't really match up. And they're like, meh. <laughs> <laughs>